Hi, I'm Will. Thank you for choosing to listen to the third episode of our podcast. Today, we chat to Laura Brammer, Senior Careers Consultant at the University of London, who offers some careers and employability advice for distance learners. And Tom from the Student Experience team pops in to update us on online societies. We also remix the University of London song and the quiz makes a return. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the World Class Podcast. Um, Happy New Year. I am Will Eames, a Student Experience Manager here at the University of London and I'm joined as ever by Joe Harris. Hi Will. And Tim Hall. Hello. In our usual spot in the basement of Senate House. Lower ground floor, Will. Lower ground floor. Thank you, Tim. Um, The weather, I normally do a weather report. The weather's been pretty shocking this week in London. Uh, It's been very wet, very windy and, and getting cold actually. Um, the UK was struck by Storm Brendan. Um, we don't actually get much extreme weather in this country, but when we do, it just causes everything to go wrong. When do we start naming storms? Because I, I know that was an American thing, wasn't it? But it seems to have become quite wasn't popular it to over make, here. To make people... No, because it, it had the opposite effect, didn't it? People didn't get scared of them anymore because they had nice friendly <laughs> they had names. nice names. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but that, yeah, that's the weather report anyway. Um, so on today's podcast, we've got an interview with Laura Brammer, who is a senior careers consultant here at the University of London. Um, and Laura will be offering an insight into employability for our distance learning students. I think that's one of the questions that um, came in, uh, Will, um, on uh, on social media when we announced that we were doing the pod. Uh, somebody asked a question about careers and actually... Luckily enough, we've done a, a an interview with Laura and she addresses the very subject that they were asking about. So I think that's going to be really interesting for our students and listeners. In our first podcast, um, we spoke about the University of London song, which you can hear now. Um, and Tim mentioned that there was a something called the University of London Songbook, which was published way back in the 1920s, I believe. That's right. Well... Joe has in her hand a copy of the University of London songbook, which was actually tracked down by one of our listeners, uh, Vicha, who messaged us through Facebook, uh, managed to find a copy online. Um, and I ordered it and it's arrived and it came from a, a little bookshop um, somewhere near Bath, I believe, in southwest England. It's a beautiful thing. It's leather bound. Is that leather bound? It looks... It's, I don't know. But... Didn't you say, Will, it's 93 years old? Yeah, so 1927, that was that was published. Um, so that book's 93 years old. And it's actually full of, um, well, it's got the University of London song in it. And it's got, um, I don't know, maybe 50 or so other it's got loads standards of songs in that it. the um, University of London choirs liked singing. They were compiled together to, to produce that. But there are songs in here that you will know, like Cockles and Mussels. There are. We yes, I think you know that joke because you grew up in the East <laughs> end of London. But she's Pearly Queen. Yeah, yeah, not all no, of us. but you would know that one. Um, How does it go? I'm not singing. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to hear me sing. Um, yeah, there's quite a. Um, there's some shanty songs. There's some. There's some real. Really interesting and different songs in this book. Oh, I've just opened a page to King Arthur, which says it's a Dorset song. Yeah. Did you do that on purpose? I that one on purpose. Oh yeah. my Someone god, say Dorset! <laughs> oh, set him off. Oh wow! So I've got I've got an idea. So what you two don't know is that I'm actually an amateur music producer. I'm not. I'm not at all. Oh I've, got, I've got a bit okay. of software on my computer at home. Okay, right, and I've digitised the University of London song. So this is this is the raw version of the University of London song. Did you do this really? Yeah. It's amazing. How can you? So so we've got a digital copy now of the University of London song. But what this means is that we can we can remix it. Right. So, oh, but yes. what I propose is that each podcast we we pick another song from the book and, uh, and play a little version. <laughs> okay. So anyway, before Christmas, um, I started getting into a style of music that um, is called lo-fi or chill hop. Are you aware of it? Yes. yes. It's pretty good for like concentration and work and stuff like that. So I had a little go at making a, a chill hop version of the University of London song. 
Can't wait. So, okay, get ready. This is it. download that song yeah. to, to, to revise to <laughs> so yeah we'll make, we'll make a revision playlist that oh my goodness that's a great <laughs> idea London. but I'm, I'm no musician and it's written in some weird time signature that I didn't I couldn't really do so I've, I've, done, it my best. Makes perfect. I've done my best it's great I say I'm not a musician but I do have my grade one guitar you are quite good at guitar yeah. I've heard you play guitar So thanks very much to uh, Vichar who found that for us. Yeah, and thanks Vichar. That is going to provide endless entertainment. I'm sure. much appreciated. <laughs> A couple of days ago, Joe met with Laura Brammer from the Careers Group, University of London, and chatted to her a bit about employability and um, career advice for uh, distance learning students. And here it is. Thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. My pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Um, I have a few questions I'd really like to ask you because I'm sure our li listeners would be so interested to hear. Um Tell, can you tell us a little bit about your background? You know, how did you first start working in, uh, in careers consultation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and I can't really believe it. I've been a careers consultant with the University of London for 15 years now, which is uh, which has flown by because I absolutely love it. But uh, it isn't my first career. It's it's my it's my second sort of major career, really. My background's really uh, in in teaching and in lecturing. And I was a a A-level lecturer for many years. And for those listeners who aren't based in the UK or maybe aren't familiar with the UK qualification systems, A-level is a sort of standard pre-university um, qualification that we, we use here. Um, and I used to teach uh, Shakespeare and Chaucer and loads of wonderful literature, which I do miss, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also really love being a pastoral tutor. And I used to help a lot of my tutors, uh, tutor group and tutees with their university applications. Uh, and I did that for many years. And then I went uh, and lived in Japan for a couple of years, oh, wow. uh, which was fantastic. And I, I loved every moment of it. And came back and I did a bit more teaching, but I knew that I was also ready to do something else. And in a sort of moment of serendipity, I was on the tube in London, mm -hmm. opened uh, a newspaper that was by my side. And it was saying the University of London were looking for, uh, at that stage, trainee careers consultants who had a background in education. And I just had a real like moment of thinking, wow, that that sounds something I'd be quite good at because they wanted someone who were interested in listening and talking and, and sort of careers thinking. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was onto a good trick because the application form was really fascinating. And you can't always say that about a job application form. Oh yeah. So yeah. And I've done it. I've done it ever since. And it's been a real joy. I mean, that's quite amazing how you flipped your careers like that. But of course, I suppose, you know, in one's life that that's, there's always the opportunities to do so, you know, you start out on one path and you end up on another. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I've been really lucky as well, because during the time I've been working as a careers consultant with the University of London, I've, I've been based in lots of different institutions as well. So I was working at King's College London for a couple of years and then at, at UCL. Uh, and also I was uh, the sort of head of the career service, just briefly covering a maternity cover at Queen Mary University of London. And they also let me do a 
sabbatical for a few months uh, in in Ethiopia uh, with voluntary service overseas. So yeah, it's been a really fascinating uh, role and and I'm really enjoying it. And so for the last two years, Laura, you've been helping and supporting our students uh, who uh, study by distance and flexible learning. Um, How has that experience differed to when you were working at King's and Queen Mary? And uh, what what do you like about uh, this new role? Well, I could I could wax lyrical about this project for hours, um, and I, I'm genuinely not just saying this, Joe. It's some of the kind of richest and most rewarding work I've done as a careers consultant. I've loved it, and I mean, one of the main distance uh, differences, rather, of course, is the distance factor. So. Sure. The work I've been doing with uh, the students on the distance and flexible learning programs has been entirely on a remote basis. So uh, it's either um, one-to-one consultations through Skype or telephone, or it's the kind of extensive webinar program that I've been doing. And what's been really interesting is obviously, as your listeners will know, they're based literally all over the globe um, and they're studying a wide range of different degree programs. And as a careers consultant who's had some international experience herself, but I've not worked internationally as a careers consultant, I'll be honest, at first I was thinking, you know, how much uh, help and insight and support am I going to be able to provide people who are based in really varied labor markets, for example. But I've been delighted to find that actually the core kind of content of what I discuss with UK-based students and campus-based students is still really valuable and valued by distance and flexible learning students as well, whether they're studying their programs through the brilliant range of teaching centers that we work closely with, or whether they're studying independently. You know, most uh, students studying these programs, similar to other university students around the world, are engaging with higher education because they are interested in their professional development. They want to expand uh, and increase their career opportunities. But, you know, equally, they're grateful for some support and advice on how best to do that. So that's been really rewarding for me. And uh, plus, you know, getting to to connect with people often in, in the webinars, you know, we'll have, say, 20 people from, you know, five different continents, all sort of, you know, sharing, getting their different ideas, et cetera. So it's been really, really useful. And um, I mean, I have to say, from the point of view of the feedback that we get from students that actually um, have been at one of your webinars or had the opportunity to have a one-to-one or join you in a careers cafe. I mean, if this was TripAdvisor, you'd get the five-star plus-plus rating there, Laura, because um, the feedback is always so incredible. And and I know that our students can tell how much you really care about them and and their future careers because um, it's evident in the feedback that we get um, from them. So I really want to thank you for all the work that you've done so far in these last two years and long may it continue. Um, I suppose, what would be really good to be able to tell our listeners in the podcast um, today is something that I know you've you have uh, released a webinar on, but it's it's something that's really um, prominent and pertinent in uh, a lot of our students' minds when they are doing a degree uh, with the University of London and they're doing that at a distance. And that is once they've actually graduated, how can they promote their qualification to recruiters' employers? Is it different? Yeah, it's a great question. And you're right. This was, this has been a topic that a couple of students have raised on an individual basis. Uh, and we have actually had a, a careers cafe around this topic. And just for those listeners who aren't familiar with the career cafes, these are small group discussions of up to about 10 students who all dial into the meeting. It's kind of like a virtual meeting using using their mic. So they don't only, only hear me speak as in a webinar, but they also get to speak with each other and with me at the same time. So it's a, it's a great sort of opportunity for a bit more focused discussion. And this question around how do you explain and market the sort of distance qualifications that, you, that you've got to, to recruiters is, I think, really pertinent. And, and one thing I said in the Careers Cafe, and I'd look forward to expanding on a, on a webinar that we're going to explore in this topic as well, is, you know, you've really got to pitch it as it is, as a strength, as an active choice. And particularly because of the nature of specifically, I'd say, your University of London 
qualification because as your listeners probably know, the University of London is the oldest provider of distance learning in the world. So it's not like you're getting a qualification from a you know brand new institution that's got no kind of legacy or uh, provenance in terms of its its quality. Um, you're getting a qualification from a world-renowned institution that employers, be they massive multinational to small boutique startups, respect and mm. recognize. Um, but you're also accessing that education, that qualification through a means of uh, a kind of enhancement of your digital literacy skills as well. So you're using your digital skills, you're using your use of tech, you're using a kind of nimble way of learning, which we know increasingly employers want evidence of. So you can talk about your qualification, not only in terms of the content, you know, whether you're studying business or finance or law or computer science or any of the courses that we offer, but you're also able to talk about your qualification as an illustration of a whole other range of skills. And, and that's the sort of digital literacy skills that, that I referred to. And I suppose resilience as well, because, um, you know, it isn't always easy to do a degree um, flexibly and at a distance. And, you know, you've got to really, you know, use all the strength that you have to, you know, sustain and maintain all the hard work needed to get a degree. You know, other students that can just, you know, rock up to a um, a lecture and, uh, you know, and, and have notes and so on, you know, a lot of our students are doing this um, in various different ways. Some are studying at teaching centres. Some are doing this totally independently while they're working and got other commitments. So, you know, resilience is such a big part of our student journey, isn't it? And um Absolutely. I mean, I've really got that sense from not only the webinar discussions we've had, but also the individual I've worked, I've been lucky enough to do with the students. As you say, Joe, many of, of our students are balancing, you know, busy work lives, busy professional careers or busy, busy roles in lots of different sectors. They might have other family commitments or commitments to their communities. And they're also weaving in their University of London qualification within all of that. And that in itself, I think, is a huge strength. Uh, we know all the evidence is telling us that resilience is one of the qualities that employers are looking to recruit increasingly in the future. The one thing we can say with some certainty, and there's very little things you can say, <laughs> but is that you know the, the, the pace of change in the modern workplace is probably only going to speed up even more than it is now. And to cope with change uh, and not just cope with it, but to thrive in it, you need to be resilient. You need to be what we might describe as sort of anti-fragile and, and mm. cope with new things happening and make and being able to juggle lots of sometimes conflicting priorities. And I think as distance and flexible learners, that's a real strength that our students can, can articulate to, to employers to say that, you know, I know that I'm able to deal with not only technological changes, but also time management, uh, thinking about how I can organize myself. Uh, and I've been able to demonstrate that over the course of my qualification. And and how how um, important do you think work experiences, uh, Laura, uh, for students prior to their graduation? I think it's absolutely vital, if I'm honest with you, because I okay. think, you know, at the end of the day, as good as a degree program can be and as rewarding and as, and as enriching as it might be, at the ultimately, when a recruiter hires you as a graduate or maybe even as a postgraduate graduate, they're looking at you in the round. They're taking a kind of 360 degree view of what you're offering them. And a huge part of that is your qualifications, obviously. But another huge part of that is what experience you have of the workplace. And the more relevant your experience is to them, the better. But any work experience is also valuable. It demonstrates that you can cope in different environments, that you can get on with a wider range of individuals. It shows that you can get stuck in with tasks. But I would absolutely always encourage you as a student to consider what type of work environments you'd like exposure to, what sort of tasks you'd like to have a go at, and do your very best to gain as much relevant work experience as possible. If it's if it's paid work experience, if it's a part-time job, for example, fantastic. But 
you know, I'm completely aware of the challenges that, that, that you may face. You may not be able to get a paid part-time job in a particular area. So instead, one thing that I've worked with many clients over the years is things like getting work shadowing experience. So finding a professional who is working in an area that you're really interested in, contacting them and asking if you can work shadow them just for a couple of days, even if it's just like, you know, two or three days in their workplace, observing them, seeing what they do. And that can be really useful experience to include on your resume to demonstrate you did organize this and you use your initiative to make it happen. And it can really inform your applications in the future because you're able to speak with much more fluency and confidence about what it is you think you'll be doing in that kind of sector or industry. So yeah, it's it's really important. What top tips would you give um, our students that uh, was looking to, to do some work experience or in fact, even, you know, students who are coming up to graduation and are looking to try and um, secure full time or you know, part time work and they're actually going out in that competitive market? What top tips would you would you impart for our students in terms of what they should do as they're approaching an application and preparing a CV? Okay, it's a really good question. And I've produced quite a lot of resources around these areas as well. So it's not just the webinars and the individual sessions, by the way. There's quite a lot of resources available online too, um, where I've sort of highlighted some of this. I mean, the key word in all of this, I would say, is uh, relevance. Think about, I mean, because to some extent, Joe, like any form of recruitment, whether it's for a part-time, you know, weekend job at a shop down the road or whether it's a professional, you know, highly skilled job that you've been studying for years for, it's basically a, a, a game of snap, really. It's, you know, they've got a list of what they want and you've got to prove to them that you've got it. So it's really fascinating. Sometimes the students or the graduates who aren't successful, they're applying for roles and they're not getting very far and they're really confused by it. And I'll say, well, can I look at your resume? Can I look at your CV? Can I look at your application? And it's clear to me that it's just too generic. It's too general. There's not enough specific detail. There's not enough specific detail about where they've evidenced the skills that they've got. And crucially, there's not enough evidence that they've thought about specifically what does the recruiter want to hear. You know, you need to really prove to that employer that you don't just want any job, you want their job. And you need to put the time and energy into thinking about how can you convince them that that's the case. And that, again, to go back to what we were just talking about, work experience, that's why work experience is so important because then you've got kind of something to base that on. And you can say, you know, I know I'm particularly interested in fintech or whatever it might be because I spent, you know, a week working alongside a a fintech firm to get an insight into what it is uh, that that part of the industry does. So, emphasize your your relevance and emphasize your your enthusiasm and your motivation you know saying that you are a, a dynamic individual anyone can say a phrase like am i dynamic individual but what can you back it up with you know give me some examples give me some evidence and that's going to lower my sense of risk taking as an employer that if i'm going to hire you who's a complete unknown quantity how can i reassure myself as a recruiter that you are going to be a really good investment for me and my business. Well, one way you can lower that sense of risk for me as a recruiter is to give me examples of your past behavior achievements. That's going to make me feel, okay, I believe that this person can do great things for me too. That's so interesting, Nora. Thanks so much for sharing that. I I wanted to point out actually, because you did mention this and it's something that our listeners hopefully know about, but if they don't, they must go to the student portal and in their support and development tab, um, in there is some really amazing resources that Laura and her colleagues at the Careers Group have put together for us. They're they're so insightful. I've even used some myself because it's just, it gives you some opportunities for self-reflection. It gives you some really great tips to go through a competitive process if you, for for new jobs and how you pitch yourself um, in that way. Um, So, Yes, definitely go online and also listen to Laura's webinars because we do actually um, catalogue and keep a library of those webinars for people to listen to. So they they are really, really interesting, fascinating. And I know that our listeners listening to you right now, Laura, will get that sense because it's, you know, 
it's something I know you're passionate about. When you've spoken to our students, Lauren, you did mention that, you know, being on site and talking to them, there is a lot of commonality. But do you feel that across the world, the world we know is getting smaller because of digital innovation, do you think that employers are looking for the same things in different parts of the world? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, and I suppose to some extent you could say, well, it it depends very much on the sector and the industry, but I think there are some systemic and seismic changes happening in the the world of work generally. Uh, I mean, if you're interested in this topic, then, um, you know, I'd certainly recommend your listeners to look at some of the work that's come out of the World Economic Forum. They produced a really interesting report a couple of years back called The Future of Work, which is looking at this very question, actually, and thinking, you know, what are some of the global changes that are happening in the in the professional landscape, in the world of work generally, that, that we're all going to experience? And obviously, you know, and it's sometimes been described as a sort of fourth industrial revolution. So this is the impact of things like artificial intelligence and automation um, and the fact that so many of the roles that we do now are going to change because key elements of, of those jobs are going to be easier and they're going to be more efic- efficiently and efficiently effectively done, you might argue, and quickly done by by machines rather than human human beings. And although that sounds quite terrifying in some ways, uh, what that report is useful to remind us is that what that does mean is there's a whole new set of roles that are being created, which is around what we might describe as the interface between human beings and machines. And if we look at the sort of top 10 list of skills that are seen to be absolutely necessary for the kind of fourth industrial revolution. You know, it's critical thinking, it's problem solving, and creativity is in the top three. And, I, and and that's not just creativity for people who work in the creative arts, for example. It's creativity across the board. So one area that I'm really interested in thinking about with with uh, our students and and uh, in terms of, terms of how they reflect on themselves is how how do you demonstrate creativity in your workplace? You know, whether you're working in accountancy, whether you're working in law, whether you're working in a wider business environment. How can you be an intrapreneur as well as an entrepreneur? Um, And I think those kind of trends, going back to your question, are true across the board because I think, you know, technology is changing the pace at which we can work. And and also, I mean, in the webinars uh, and, you know, this podcast and these courses are a great illustration of this, you know, we are now working in global teams. We're we're working closely with individuals through technology who we may never meet face to face. We may not meet for many years, you know, after we've worked with them for many years. Um, And that's, you know, it's challenging in some senses because obviously there are different expectations sometimes, but also it's, it's really rewarding because it's crowdsourcing talent from across the planet. Um, so I think there are definitely some changes that are coming uh, and are unstoppable. And I think it's a it's a time of, of really kind of a great innovation and in thinking about how we manage that going forward. Laura, thank you so much um, for chatting with us today. Um, we really do appreciate your insights. Um, before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you, what would be if you could condense it down uh, for some advice or just like a, a, a kind of a bit of motivation for our students, what would be your top tip for students that are starting out on their career paths? Recognize, own and articulate your brilliance. Oh, wow. You need to know what you're good at. You need to know how you know that you're good at it and you need to tell people that you're good at it. And I think if you do those three things, then you're on the right path. And that's wise words. That's stuff to live by. Laura, thank you so much. I really hope that we're going to be able to do this again uh, in the not too distant future, um, because I'm sure we're going to get some, a lot of questions and from our students who have, have listened in today to this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Bye, everyone. Following the massive success of the quiz, I've decided to keep it as an ongoing feature in the podcast. I don't know. I, sh- I can claw this back. You can no. claw this back. Joe's currently one nil up. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Right, Joe, which which buzzer do you want today? I'll give you uh, a choice because you won the last one. I've green. Home.
Okay. Okay. So that Tim, Tim, that leaves you with. He got that one last nice. time, didn't well, he? You had the choice. <laughs> you also lost. It's not like it's the lucky. Yeah, I know, but can I just one. say something though? Because I don't know whether this is a ploy to show the listeners the worst side of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you come because, across as really aggressively combative yes. and, and competitive. Yeah. And I just come across as really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you don't come, but, I just, but I just don't know. Like, it, I can't switch off and just be really, oh, you know, I don't know this because I feel now that if I'm going to lose this one, I'm going to be annoyed. <laughs> Joe, I'm going to beat you this time. Oh, don't. I okay. can't hear those words. I don't want to preempt this one, but I feel like Tim might have a slight advantage. Oh, no. Yes. But so, no, 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 hold on. I might have hold to on. veto this. Right. So, famous British author H.G. Wells studied as an external student with the University of London in the 1890s. This isn't a question. I'm just... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, our hands are over the buzzer. I saw his hands over the buzzer. So, so he, studied, like... he studied with us in the 1890s. And it was awarded an honorary degree in 1936. So today's quiz oh, God. <laughs> is in the honour of Mr. Wells, who wrote some of the all-time great science fiction novels. Hold on a minute. I'm out because he's no, a science wait. fiction geek. Joe. Okay. Wait. All right. So some of his books include War of the Worlds, The Time Machine, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Um and his degrees that he got with, with us were in zoology and geology. Oh, I knew that. I thought it was so, going to be a question. Today's quiz is not going to be about that. It's going to be about movies that have been inspired <laughs> oh, by H.G. Wells' books. I'm so, st- Joe, you've got a chance. I haven't okay. got, a, I haven't got I, as much chance as... Can, you, can I please read out the whole question before you buzz? Okay. <laughs> I thought you could have an interrupted buzz. No, because I want the, our listeners to hear the question and be able to play oh, along. Okay. Fair All enough. Right? And some of them have a bit of... A bit waffly. Okay. Question one. Which former Neighbours actor, Neighbours being a long-running Australian soap opera, which was extremely popular in the UK in the 80s and 90s, played the role of the time traveller in the 2002 movie, The Time Machine? I know this one, but I can't think of his name. I'm going to guess... Guy Pierce. She's right. Sorry. <laughs> Guy Pierce. I was like Pierce, Pierce, Pierce. No. So no. Guy Pierce yeah. was um, actually this ties in with the last podcast. He was recently seen in the BBC ap- adaptation of A Christmas Carol, which was on over Christmas on TV, mm-hmm. um, which was written by Charles Dickens, who of course we know is a big fan of the University of London. Absolutely, and would probably love this podcast, of course. <laughs> so, do either of you know much about the story of the Time Machine? No. Yeah. There's a race of uh, underground dwellers who are cannibalistic, and they warlocks. the warlocks, and they, warlocks. And they, and they come up uh, and eat the peace-loving Eloy. Eloy, that's right. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's he doesn't much. get a bonus. Point no, he doesn't. No, by the way, but no. I, it provides a bit of context for yeah, our listeners, okay. Joe. Mm. So yes, yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so this this uh, scientist invents a time machine, and he travels eight hundred thousand years into the future. And as Tim said, the society split into these two factions. Uh, and then he travels even further till he witnesses the end of the world and, and comes home three hours later. Okay. Okay. Joe is seething. <laughs> She's winning as well. <laughs> right. So there's two correct answers to this next question. Do we and have I, to get them both? I will give a point for each. Okay. Oh. So it's a chance for a point for both of you. Okay. okay. So, what connects the 1986 US aviation action film Top Gun to H.G. Wells? I think you might be in. Tom Cruise. Is one of the right answers. Well done, Joe. So, Tom Cruise played Pete Maverick Mitchell in Top Gun, and he also played the main character in Steven Spielberg's 2005 adaptation of The War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds. Can you get the other one? This one's a little bit more obscure. I'm, yeah, I'm. I was going more out there. Is it about? Is it another actor? Because I'll just name actors that are in Top Gun. (laughs) (laughs) You've got. You've got to say the. Well, I shouldn't have really given you that one. Yeah. Kelly McGillis. No. Tim, do you want to have a go? They did do the Eye of Doctor Moreau, didn't they? they? As a movie, you're along the right line. I'm trying to remember who was in it. Um. 
Harry. <clears throat> I can't think of his surname. I'm so bad with names. <clears throat> I can. I know his face. I can picture his face. What else was he in, Joe? He he's been he's he's died rec- not recently, maybe a year or so ago. He. He's still alive. <laughs> this one is. Who am I thinking of then? The one with dark hair? I haven't seen the uh, movie adaptation. The one adaptation with dark hair? Of The Island of Dr. Moreau. Mm. Neither have I. I had a mouse called Dr. Moreau. Yeah. An actual right, mouse that was your pet? I'm going to give you the pet. answer because yeah. we're losing a bit of momentum. <laughs> <laughs> it is, of course, Val Kilmer, who played uh, Ice. Iceman. Val Kilmer. But why did, you, why did you nod when I said Harry? Because I was trying to put you off. Oh, God. <laughs> That's two points to Joe. Um, Val Kilmer played Tom Iceman Kazansky in yeah. Top Gun and played Dr. Montgomery alongside Marlon Brando in The Island of Dr. Moreau. Of course he did. I could have got that if I'd have just gone through the actors, but I was trying to think of an obscure actor. <laughs> okay, so um, do you, are you familiar with the story of The Island of Dr. Moreau? Yes. <laughs> You're not getting bonus points. <laughs> tell us. Tell us. Um, it's about somebody who goes to an island, an island of Dr. Moreau and Dr. Moreau is doing experiments on creatures and he's he's creating sort of hybrids of humans and animals and weird sort of mixes uh, and it all goes a bit wrong and uh, do the animals rise up against Dr. Moreau um, because they, they are like to, sentient they start to revert back to their animalistic yeah, yeah. nature because he tries to teach them to be humans that's so. right that's yeah, right it's yeah. quite disturbing it's book. very dark yeah yeah, yeah. Um, what about War of the Worlds? You know what that's about? You've seen the Tom Cruise one, right? I know about that as well, but it's not, I've go. got no points. Well, it's, you're, it's, you it's, can Joe's 2-0 up, so... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's looking so angry. She's <laughs> just looking... <laughs> she's <laughs> giving Tim Hagen. I've got the backstory, but not the answers. Do you know why? Because I feel like I, I should know the answer to that. It's what War of the Worlds about? It's about... But I'm not... Sci-fi yeah. is not my thing. Well, maybe this will inspire yeah. me to, to watch the film or read it. It's about... Martians coming to Earth and destroying humanity, and just when human humanity thinks it's on the brink of extinction, Stop. that's going to be a question. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my yes. god! I might so as well just in the sit bag. back. Yeah. So, and so War of the Worlds. Yeah, it's about it's a, a Martian invasion movie, basically. And apparently, at the time, there was a lot of invasion literature around, um, which actually finally coincided with the French invention of the hot air balloon. So I think Victorian Victorian London has started panicking that it was now easy for Europeans to get over to Britain. Do you Britain. know there's another thing, isn't there? There was a lot of um, sci-fi alien stuff when the Cold War was out and they correlated that as yeah. well, didn't they, uh, in literature? Absolutely, yeah. So it was, it's a, it was a comment on the, the fears, the Victorian fears mm. at the time. Or was it the other way around, Well, were, were, were they using media to keep the... Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, question three, which I'm afraid is also about War of the Worlds. You might get this one. I might. Which US actor, director, sparked panic in the US in 1938 with a radio adaptation of the War of the Worlds? Tim. Orson Welles. It's correct. He's got one back. Yeah, he's got one back. So he can have that. He's he's worked hard for that. Well done. Yeah, I have so worked he, hard for he, that. He did a version of War of the Worlds, but set it up as a news bulletin. That's right. The first half was a news bulletin, and it supposedly reportedly scared a lot of people and yeah. they ended up running out of their houses and looking up in the skies. But um, apparently that might have been exaggerated a bit by the press at the time because they were a bit um what's the word? They were they were trying to discredit radio as a medium. Because they wanted people to oh. keep reading their papers. Oh, really? Fake news. Fake, exactly. Oh, Fake wow. news. Fake news. Okay, next question. Come on, Joe, you can do this one. Yeah, okay. The 2000 film Hollow Man, starring Footloose and Tremors actor Kevin Bacon, was loosely based on which H.G. Wells novel? The Invisible Man. It's I correct. was going to say that. It's the Invisible no. Man. Mm. And what's that one about, Tim? That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> yes. yes. But yeah, a scientist basically invents uh, a way to turn himself invisible, but mm. doesn't invent a way to turn himself visible again mm. and ends up going insane and killing people. Yeah. Rude. This is great content. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're not feeling it. Not feeling this time. Well, because of the sci-fi it's factor. She's about to lose, that's no, not are. necessarily, because there's going to be another question because, about well, yeah, because there's Is only, it 2-2? Two, two? There's only one more question. It's 2-2 two, two, and, oh, and it's one that Tim's going to get. Oh, God. Okay, let's see. Okay. Do you want me to give you like five seconds? The final no, question. No, you don't need to do any charity. <laughs> we'll War see. of the Worlds. War of the Worlds again. What was Jeez. it that ultimately defeated the Martians? It was the common cold. <laughs> it was. It was, yes. The, the Martians didn't have any immune system, any immunity to any earthbound pathogens. Yeah. Have some Martians. I feel like what we've learned from this quiz <laughs> is that if you make it niche to someone's favourite oh, genre, then they're going to win. No, it was sci-fi films. There was 80s actors in there and everything. I got the 80s actors. Mm. I can't mm. believe you didn't get Val Kilmer. You'd have won if you had. Yeah, you had. Don't do that to me. I, I was literally thinking someone obscure because you were giving me facials. Like it was someone really, really obscure. And I was going to go through the three main ones. Kelly McGinnis, Val Kilmer. I couldn't think of the name that was Goose. But that was the one. And then I was thinking of the guy that was in the office. And that was that Harry guy that's died. Who? I don't, I'm going to have to look him up. He's got dark hair. That narrows it down. <laughs> <laughs> So as we mentioned earlier, we've had some great comments and feedback and questions um, through Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, um, some of which we hope was addressed in the chat Joe had with Laura. Yeah. Um, we've also had um, some comments, pe people being interested in the LLB, which is the, the undergraduate law degree. Um, and we are currently in the process of setting up an interview with Simon Askey, who is our Dean of Undergraduate Laws. So we'll hopefully have that for you in the March edition of the podcast. Um, other topics that have come up, someone's asked if we could cover um, improving communication and presentation skills. So we'll look at bringing in a guest to do that in the future. I think also just to mention that um, the first um, careers micro module has been in careers planning, um, but the next one is going to be in work readiness. And part of work readiness is obviously presentational skills um, and things like that. So it's going to be something that we will be developing, but... Definitely, we can get somebody um, in to talk about that as well. Mm. And then we've received some other sort of more specific questions about programs, which we will probably try and answer in um, direct messages. But but we, we'll keep a log of all these questions and the things that keep coming up. We'll definitely try and address in future podcasts. So please do keep them coming in. Absolutely. Right, we are now joined by Tom another colleague from the student experience team uh, who's come to chat to us about online societies. Hello, thanks for having me. Hey, Tom. Tom, um, I'm going to take this little section and ask you a few questions about it because we've actually mentioned um, online societies in our last two podcasts because it's a, a great new innovation that we're developing now for um, students and you've been um, at the forefront of that and um, I just wanted to ask you really what's been the biggest challenge for you to get this uh, project off the ground? So I think the biggest challenge initially is trying to find a way of um, organising, creating societies but for the online context. So obviously we're in kind of a unique position as the University of London. Our students are all around the world um, studying online, studying via teaching centres and if you're a campus student, then being part of a society is part of your everyday life, um, your student experience, but trying to translate that into an online context um, and thinking of the ways in which we could manage that was um, was something of a challenge. Um, and with the different societies that we've created, um, it, it, it kind of challenges us to think about it in different ways as well. Can you just remind um, our listeners what those um, those first two um, societies are and what you're working on uh, for the next one? Okay, so the first one that we launched um, was uh, the Student Book Club. That launched um, towards the end of October, beginning of November. And um, that's going really well. We've had lots of engagement with that. Um, and then we followed that up quickly with the World Recipes Society. So the idea with that one is that students can um, post their favorite dishes, their favorite recipes from their home countries, really kind of showcasing the diversity of the student body of the University of London. Um, and 
you know, get to cook some interesting things as well. And is it easy to um, engage with that? Is it easy to put up pictures and things like that? Sure. So the platform allows um, students uh, to upload pictures, upload videos if they want to as well. Um, what if they're making their food? They can do that. If yeah, like. yeah. You can you can um, post your kind of your method and as well as um, pictures of the finished article. So yeah, it's good. And what about if nobody cooks, but they want to showcase what um, is the kind of the food of their culture, where they live and so on? Can Is that still part of the society? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's not um, a prerequisite that you have to necessarily post pictures. Um, we've all had the kind of mixed success rates when cooking things and trying trying new stuff in the kitchen. So, um, yeah, it's, some, it's definitely something that um, students can use to whatever extent they want to. Um, the important thing is that you get to kind of meet people from from different places and with different experiences from different backgrounds. Um, so yeah, I think that's the key bit. And I know that I put a pad thai recipe up there, but I know that's probably not authentic. So I'd love for somebody to let me know how to do it properly. Um, Looks yeah. good though. And talk, talk to me a little bit about the book club, um, Tom, because that was the first society and that was the one that I believe when you were surveying came back as um, the, a popular choice for a society. Um, what book are they looking at at the moment? Um, so um, the first book that we looked at is um, The Book Thief, which is an interesting one. Um, it's, uh, I think it published around 15 years ago. Maybe okay. I have to check that. Um, it's told from the perspective of death, um, which sounds um, wow. scary and frightening and depressing, but it's actually not. It's actually quite an uplifting book. Um, and, you know, students have, have kind of made um, comments to that effect on the on the forum as well. Yes. Um, so the second book that we're that we're um, looking at, um, which we've just moved on to today, is one called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, which was also um, a popular choice when we allowed students to um, vote on what books they would like to read. Oh, I'll check that out. I haven't heard of that one. That's interesting. What's the feedback been like so far, Tom, for the two societies that are up and running from the students? Yeah, so it's been really positive. Um, we've had some nice um, feedback on on Twitter, on our, on our social media channels about um, students kind of making the most of, of the um, online society provision. Um, and it seems that those that are using the, the platforms themselves are really getting something out of it as well. And connecting with each other and having a chance exactly, to... Exactly, yeah. yeah. So getting the chance to, to kind of have conversations with people who... Um, Otherwise, they might not have the opportunity to. Oh, that's amazing. And and talk to us about what you're working on now for the next society. Yeah, so the next society is um, ideally it's going to be a debate club. Okay. So we know that um, debate clubs are really popular with um, They're campus. They're cornerstone of a campus university. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, online society, a uh, society rather, not online society, aren't they? Well, but that's that's kind of, that's the interesting thing is how to, how to again, how to translate that into an online context. So, um, yeah, we've been thinking a lot about how to do that. Um, and we're hopeful that soon we'll be able to launch with um, a debate club that, again, will be open to all University of London students that they can access via their student portal. So, Tom, so with the student involvement, obviously you can just be um, part of the society. But what if you um, had ambitions to maybe ha have more of a, a part to play in how a society runs and, and what that society's direction will be going forward? How can students who are interested in that side of things get involved? Sure. So um, the plan with all of our online societies, as would be the case um, in in uh, on-campus context, is that they will eventually be run and managed by students themselves. Um, so soon and in the course of the next kind of weeks and months, we'll be looking to to kind of recruit, if you like, students to to take over the um, the the management of each um, individual part of the platform. Um, so, you know, we think that. This would be good for a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, it will give students the chance to, again, meet and interact with, with, with their peers, but also they'll be able to develop the kind of skills that you might get um, from taking on a kind of administrative or leadership position in a society, um, which, you know, will be of, of great benefit to them, hopefully. Absolutely. I mean, you always, if, if you see that on a CV, you know, someone's taken part in in um, developing a society, you know, they've got a skill set there, which is, um, you know, great to have in the team. Mm. 
That's brilliant. Thanks so much, Tom, for telling us about that. I think everybody watch this space. The societies are developing and, um, uh, yeah, get involved, be part of it. This is um, something set up for you. So um, please um, look out for the next society or join one that already exists. Thanks very much. Thank you, Tom. Right, that brings us to the end of this episode of our podcast. Um, we would really, really love to feature a current student or an alumnus on the next episode. Uh, is it an alumnus or an alumna? Alumni is plural, is it not? Yeah, I think it's alumnaut. Alum- uh, alumna, isn't it? <laughs> alumna. We'd really love to feature current or former student on the next episode of the podcast. So if you are at all interested in that, please message us through um, Twitter, Facebook or Instagram and we will get that organised. We'll do it by Skype so you can be anywhere in the world. The podcast is now on Acast, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, meaning you can now subscribe and share and access the podcast from any device you like. Um, We had one question come through on Instagram asking how to find the podcast on Apple. Um, We've only had it up for a week, so it's not listed in any of the search indexes yet. And I think that's the same on Spotify as well, but I'm told that that will happen soon. So um, for now, you can access it through the ACAST page, which is shows.acast.com slash the world class podcast, or one word. And if you go to that page and click on subscribe, you can see the links to um, Apple, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Okay, so the lovely thing about being listed on ACAST now is we can see the countries our listeners are listening from. And we've had listeners from 22 countries just in the last week alone. So, Amazing. So we're building a community. That's That was the aim of the podcast. Absolutely. Let's keep it going. Spread the word. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. And just up to a little shout out to our listeners who are going to be celebrating um, Chinese New Year on the 25th. Uh, we wish you a, a very prosperous and wonderful Chinese New Year. Do we know what the year is? It's the rat. It will be the year of the rat. <laughs>